And uh, let's go to Luke 15. Can you go there with me? Let's go. Luke 15. Woo! I love Luke 15. It's a dynamic chapter. It's like one of those things where you're like, you know, anytime like chapter, you're like, oh, it's my favorite. This one really might be my favorite until the next one we talk about, which I'll say is my favorite. It's not because I'm a liar. I just... <laughs> okay, Luke 15. And here's what we've got. Um, this, what I want to start out with, we're going in the mind of Christ. It's part two. I, I spoke on this a couple weeks ago, uh, but we're going into part two of it. But I want to kind of set the stage because um, I felt in my heart today that there's a lot of, there, there are some people that are actually believing that God is not as good as he says he is. That, 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 that we've, uh, listen, we face stuff in life, right? Sometimes life can even get a little poopy. <laughs> it happens, right? It gets tough. It gets hard. And I feel like sometimes when that pressing comes, sometimes we can begin to blame God. And we can start to think that, that we can start to think a lie about the character and the nature of God. God doesn't cause bad things to happen to you. God is a really good dad who loves you and is with you through the waiting, through the pressing. And so I want to start out today with, uh, with Luke 15 because it tells, it's kind of a glimpse inside of the nature of God. So let's start there. I'm going to read in verse four. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders. Isn't that a beautiful image? Rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls his neighbors together, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents and over 99 righteous. Okay, here's what I want to show you. In this story, we see a heart of God. We, and Jesus is painting the picture with, with, with a shepherd with a hundred sheep. And he's got a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost. He still has 99. But the nature of God is not just to stay and protect the 99. Yes, he protects the 99. But his nature is also, I don't want that one should come to harm. I don't want that one would come across a wolf and be devoured. And so his heart is to go towards the one. That's the heart of God. That's the love that he has for you. If you go on down into the story of the prodigal son, you see, you see the father and he has two sons, an older and a younger. They're not twins. And the younger son comes up to his dad and he says, I want my inheritance now. I always like to think about this. It's like he walked up and said to his dad, I wish you would die so I could get your money. That's harsh, right? Now, what is even crazier is that, God, is that the father in this story says, okay, here you go. I'm not going to try that one out on my dad, just saying, but... <laughs> And then this guy goes off and he goes out into this countryside and they say he's, he's, he spent it all on riotous living, all right? And, and, and he goes into like, you know, he was, he was boozing and he was carousing and he was womanizing and then all of a sudden a great famine came on the land and he lost everything. And he was down in this pit with feeding pigs 
And he was like, man, this slop looks delicious. And he has that come to himself moment. That realization of, oh, this is not what I want for my life. This realization of, how did I get in this mess? Come on, somebody's been there. Somebody has had that moment. And then he thinks about his father's house. And he thinks, in my father's house, there is plenty. I'm just gonna go back to dad and I'm gonna throw myself at his mercy. And so he, that's what he does. He turns and he heads back to dad's house. Now here's the beautiful part about the nature of God. While his son has been gone, do you know what the father has been doing? He's been pacing that floor and watching, watching for that one, bless you, that one that was lost, son. I feel like there's some praying parents. I feel like there's been some praying parents that you've been praying for that kiddo that's not come back. And like, it gets tough. It gets tough in that moment where you're like, where you're like, I'm just gonna give up. He's never, she, he's never going to turn his life back to me. And I want you to know that the heart of the father is akin with your heart to keep praying, to keep praying for that kiddo, to keep pacing the floor at nights and at day and calling their name and calling their name to Jesus and taking their name before him. And see, that's what the father does. And, and the father's literally watching because if he sees that son coming, he wants to be the per- first person to run out and get him because... What that son did by demanding his inheritance and leaving the father was really, really shameful. It was so shameful. If people in the town that they lived saw him coming through, they would stone him. So here's this father continuing to watch and wait to save his kid's life. And then he sees him. And then his dad does something crazy. All right, he sees him coming and he doesn't go and like, put on his garb and his clothes and go out there. Even I, you know, if like my hair was really messed up, might throw my ball hat on and run out there. But he like lifts up his gown and he starts running to his son. Why? Because he's, he wants to be the first person to get him there. Because he knows if he gets there first, he saves his life. That's the heart of God. The heart of God is running after you and me, and the lost. And I just want to encourage you today that we're going to get into the mind of Christ. And like, I just, if, if we're operating somewhere where we're not, we're not fully seeing the truth of who God is, that's a lie that could be building a stronghold in our life. And we don't have time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that. All right, let's jump in. Um, let's jump into 1 Corinthians 2.16. Flip on over. This is what we were talking about a couple weeks ago, is the mind of Christ. But for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. You have the mind of Christ as a redeemed believer. And see, we, we, we threw that out there and we just kind of let it blow up and drop. We said there's two reasons why this is important. I mean, there's a lot, but we picked out two. We said in in John 10.10, the first aspect of this is that the thief comes only in order to steal, kill, and destroy. But I, that's I is for Jesus, I came that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full, till it overflows. So one of the reasons that we, that we wanna lean in and grow in this mind of Christ is so that we can grow in John 10, 10, in the full and abundant life that Jesus Christ died to give us. 
You know, here's the thing is that, is that, is that you guys probably have checking accounts, right? That still happens nowadays. Yeah, you, we don't have checks, but we have checking accounts. Um, if somebody deposited a million dollars into your checking account, oh, glory to God. Somebody's like, I received that word of prophecy, brother. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I feel the spirit of adoption. <laughs> I'm not going to demand my inheritance now, I guess. <laughs> Too soon. Okay. So you've got a you've got million dollars in your account. If you don't know how to access this million dollars through debit card, withdrawal, or check, and it just sits there, it doesn't do anything for you, especially with interest rates nowadays. It's the same way. Jesus died to leave us an inheritance. The inheritance is the mind of Christ. I've came that you may have and enjoy life in abundance until it overflows. But see, I can have that in my checking account and not live from it. So the first aspect of why we want to realize the mind of Christ is so that we can live in the abundant, blood-bought life that Jesus Christ gave, came to give us. Secondly, we want to go over to Matthew 28. 28. And we want to look at the Great Commission. This is the go of the gospel. The second aspect is that we want to live in the mind of Christ in that full abundant life so we can then go into our homes and in our workplaces and bless it so that we can go in there and we can begin to disciple and make disciples. And if, and if we're not, if we're living, if we're living below the, the, who we are, the mind of Christ, you know what? We're walking around miserable. I'm just bummed out. And who wants that? No one's like standing in line and be like, oh, I want more of that disgusted, miserable Christian's life. <laughs> right? Like, 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 like even Jesus was like, when you fast, at least wash your face when you go out. There's lots of spiritual ramifications, but it's not vanity. Okay, just leave it. Sorry. So what we want to do today is we want to just jump in. We want to look at what does the redeemed mind look like? Because that's what we have. So I, I just want to spend some time there. And then we're going to kind of flow and look at uh, some mentalities, some strongholds that sometimes get built in our mind. And, and the thing to remember is that we're process, right? We're talking about sanctification here. I know it's salvation, the miraculous work of, of, of Jesus' blood happens. You're cleansed. Your spirit comes to life. You're a, you were once dead in sin, but now you're alive to Christ. That happens, right? That is a beautiful thing. But then walking out that process, because see, this is it. I'm alive. I'm a new creation. But I also have mindsets of how I was living. And so if I don't transform my mind... I'm going to be a blood-bought Christian who still lives like the world. That's right. Mm, come on now, somebody. All right, if you've got your Bibles, let's do something with them. Let's go to Isaiah 26, 3. <laughs> Sometimes when I'm reading scriptures, I feel like I'm in a huddle and like, we're like, all right, let's go break. I just get so pumped up about it. 
Okay, you guys are getting over there. Um, So we have the mind of Christ. But what does that look like? What does it mean to have the mind of Christ? How does that mean you are now? Because that's a question I have. If I have the mind of Christ, what's that look like? I mean, it sounds cool. It sounds very spiritual. Yes, I have the mind of Christ. Special. Which you are, but there's more to it than that, right? All right, so here we go. Isaiah 26 says, You will keep in perfect and constant peace the one whose mind is steadfast, that is committed and focused on you in both inclination and character, because he takes, because he trusts and takes refuge in you with hope and confident expectation. Okay, so part of this mind of Christ, listen, how many of you guys, peace is the norm in the mind of Christ? It just blew my mind, right? That's the norm. And yet, how often during the course of even my day do I lose my peace? Right, and this is, I'm, I'm, this is what happens to me. Life happens, right? I'm, I'm going through my day, I get up, and then it's like, and you turn around, it's like four o'clock, and you're like, oh, where'd my day go? I'm so stressed, and all this stuff has happened, and this has happened, I still have to do this, and that's where you get, and you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, I did the 6.30 this morning when I was in my devotion, things were great. What's it say? It says, you will keep in perfect in peace, the one whose mind is steadfast, committed, and focused on you. When do I lose my peace? My peace, when I lose my focus. You remember two weeks ago we talked about Jacob and Laban, and it was this really weird story. Um, I don't know if it's really, I don't know if it's a great setup for it, but there was this different story in the Old Testament where we were Jacob and Laban. Uh, we had a, he was working for his father-in-law. He's like, I'm going to leave. Laban's like, you know what? No. I think you should stay here because I'm blessed because you're here. But Jacob perseveres and like, no, I'm going to have to go. And so then Laban's like, okay, you can have any cows that are speckled and spotted and goats and sheep and that sort of thing. But then he took all of those cows and he put them in other pastures. So then God came, comes to Jacob in a dream and is like, you know what? What you need to do is you're going to cut some pieces of wood and you're going to make them spotted and speckled and you're going to lay them down by the water and feeding area of these animals. And when they come down there and they breed, they're gonna produce offspring that look spotted and speckled. It's this whole principle of you become what you behold. It's a weird story. You're like, what? Genetically, that's weird, dude. How does that make sense? Because it's God. No, but but so then what happens? The, 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 The livestock comes down, They drink, they eat, they breed, and they produce these speckled and spotted calves that Jacob then takes with him. You become what you behold. Why am I losing my peace? Because I'm losing my focus. It's the whole whole concept of Peter on the water, right? As long as my focus was there, I didn't start sinking. But then all of a sudden what happens is the things that are happening in our life start to appear much bigger in our mind in the Waymaker. Galatians 5, let's jump over there. Talking about attributes of the redeemed mind. But the fruit of the Spirit, 
is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, they're still going, gentleness, self-control. Those are your characteristics. That's who you are. You are a redeemed believer, full of joy, love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about the two trees, one producing good fruit from the good inside and one producing evil fruit from the evil inside. Church, this is what you have inside of you. You have the fruit of the Spirit. That's who you are. If you're producing something else, then it's because you are letting a lie dictate your truth. You are believing something about yourself that isn't true. And you're producing fruit because of that. You guys like the zoo? I love going to the zoo, especially now that I have a kid like a little kid, right? Because everything is brand new. We were at the zoo this week and uh, (laughs) there was a sun bear and it was like walking around and it started to walk toward the cage where Viv was. And Viv was like, oh no, (laughs) it was so precious. And then we go over to the tiger and like she got so excited about the tiger and she was like, she was like roaring at the tiger. And it was was just awesome. And anyhow, um, my favorite, my favorite stuff, I love apes and monkeys. Gorillas, my favorite. All right, I just love they're so like majestic and strong and stuff. But uh, you know when you go to the monkey house and you walk into the monkey house, it doesn't smell great. It's this real, real healthy musk <laughs> uh, and nasty that you start to smell. But then. This is what happens to me. I'm in the monkey house for a little while. I'm like, oh my goodness, look at the baby orangutan. It's so cute. And then you know, there's a monkey. And I start to like just geek out. And all of a sudden, I'm not smelling the stink anymore. Now, if I was to walk out of the monkey house and breathe the fresh air and then go back in, it would smell bad again to me. But because that's where I'm living, I'm not noticing the stink. Spiritual ramification. I think sometimes we got some stinkiness around us and we don't even recognize it because it's where we live. That's why I remember remember two weeks ago we talked about the Philippian scripture to cultivate your salvation to work out your salvation. And we talked about being, being fruit inspectors. What are you growing out of your life? This is also a good example of where it's great to have friends and loved ones around you that can speak into your life. Because sometimes I don't realize the stinkiness I'm putting off. Sometimes I do. <laughs> but sometimes it's really good to have someone that can speak into your life about that. Now, listen, I'm not talking about someone you don't ever know that like walks up and it's just like they're throwing a judgmental rock at you. I'm talking about someone who you've given access and who returns access that you guys can speak into one another's lives. That helps because this is, where, this is who you are. You're a blood-bought believer with the mind of Christ who is patient, 
kind, full of peace, full of self-control, gentleness, all of those things. And, and, and here's the deal, is that, is that the enemy starts to whisper, and, and, and you have these, these mindsets and these, these strongholds that you had before you were a believer, and if, you're not, if we're not taking authority over all these other thoughts, we're gonna fall back into those mindsets. Let's look at scripture. Um, let's flip over to 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5. Do, 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 do. And it says this, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Destroy strongholds. Just because we have strongholds in our minds that we spent years building doesn't mean that they have to stay there for the rest of our lives. Come on, somebody. We are not defined by our past. We're defined by that restorative work at the cross. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So if we have thoughts in our mind, remember, having a thought is not a sin. It's what we do with a thought. Okay, so those thoughts come in there. And I shared the last, last week that uh, I just thought before I had a revelation on this, if it popped in my head, I had to think about it. I was a slave to whatever was popping in my head. My Bible reads that I am no longer a slave. Come on, somebody. You are powerful in your choices. And we're powerful when those thoughts come in and they do not line up with the character and the nature of God, which is my new nature. Then you know what? I say, no access. Get on out of here. That's what you have to say, right? We throw them down. And like, let's say there's an area. Let's say there's an area where you're really like going to battle and you're doing like some warfare about it. It keeps coming at you. Get scriptures written on stuff. Write them on your closet doors, on your mirrors, at your workplace. If, I mean, if you're, if you're struggling with, 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 with having peace, then write 5,000 scriptures about peace. I love my wife. She's the most amazing woman. And she does this for me sometimes. Um, I, I, was, I was having some, an issue in an area and uh, we were talking about it and she was like, babe, this is what I'm gonna do. And she did it for me. And now my closet door is covered with scriptures. And so every day that I'm w- walking over there, I just read them. I can't help but read them. They're staring me in my face. And it goes back to that story that we talked about with Jacob. We become what we behold. So instead of believing the lie that says this about you, you're looking at the truth of the word of God that that's what Jesus believes about you and you're saying that over and over and over again. You know what? How many of you guys can worry? You don't raise your hand. No, I'm playing. It's like one honest guy back there. (laughs) I love you, Sid. (laughs) If you can worry, you can meditate. Listen, I'm I'm just going to leave it. (laughs) Taking every thought captive, right? (laughs) Um, I want to go over to, if you guys have your Bibles, go into Romans 12. Let's look at Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Again, we're talking about be transformed. Be transformed by being in the presence, by being in that word of God. That's transformative.
you know, we go from glory to glory, right? When Prom and I first got married, um, dude, we were poor. <laughs> we, were, we were so poor, we didn't even have the R on it. We were just poor. <laughs> I think we made... I think we made $600 a month and our rent was $325. That's Paul. Somebody's like, that is Paul. <laughs> really, you right. <laughs> uh, and so um, about every month we needed some sort of miracle. That's where we were. Um, but you know what? I found out in that time that God is faithful. Um, you know what the enemy, enemy tried to say, though, is, is, is like all those things. See, Prom and I got married when we were really young. We were both still in college, uh, early 20s. And, uh, and, and like, you know, you, the enemy would, would, would try to lie to you and be like, well, you've, got, you've, just, you've just ruined your life. You've gotten married and like you have enough money and all this stuff. And that's crazy. I love promise with all my heart. She loved me. We felt the blessing of God on it. We move in that decision. Why are we so afraid of failing? Let's talk about worry for a second. Can we do that? We were, we were mentioning it a minute ago, and Sid was honest about it. Um, you know, so often in that season, we didn't have enough. I was worried. Where's it going to come from? How are we going to, how are we, how, how, how are we going to make this? What do I need to do? What do I need to do? What do I need to do? And see, all that worry just stressed me out. All that worry created a mind that wasn't the mind of Christ because it wasn't stayed in peace, right? God was faithful. He never let us go hungry. But see, this is what happened is that God began to build and stretch faith through that. All of a sudden, I would see those checks come in the mail and I would be like, Jesus, you care about us. And it began to build a testimony. God began to open doors where we got, we, got, we got a better job. Well, then it wasn't just $600 a month. There was increase. But see, this is what happens in, in, in life, is that, is, that, is that as you're going from glory to glory, now there's also this stewardship aspect that comes in, how you steward what you're given. It's like when you're a new Christian and you're like, ah, God, I need a word from you, and you like throw your Bible down, and like there's the word it comes to on the page. And then like you've walked with God for, you know, several years. You're like, God, I need a word. And you throw your Bible down and it's like, repent for the fire of God is going to breathe down on your house and burn you up. <laughs> you know, you're like, what? What? No, God, what have I done wrong? <laughs> but it's, it's because it, it, we're that process from glory to glory. As he builds his faith, we're moving to the next level. And so then all of a sudden stewardship came in. He had given that blessing of more. So now I'm steward, we're stewarding it better. And yeah. <clears throat> And I don't have to lean in and rely all the time on the other because he's bringing provision the other way. Watch this in the disciples. If you have your Bibles, go to Mark 8. Mark 8, verse 14. Verse 14 starts like this. Now they had forgotten to bring bread and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. 
I love this because look at this. Okay, now just a couple chapters back, they saw Jesus take a loaf and some fishes and they had like 12 baskets of leftovers. They're still thinking about that level of glory. He says, now they had forgotten to bring bread, right? They only had one boat and they're worried about this. He says to them, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. He's saying, beware of the political and religious systems. They're worried about what goes in my belly. He goes on, watch this. (laughs) He says, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you, uh, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did they take up? They said to him, they said to him 12. And then the seven for the 4,000. And how many baskets of full or broken pieces did they take up? Seven. And he said, do you not understand? I find that sometimes in my mind, when God's taking me from glory to glory, I forget to take the testimony with me. And when I don't take the testimony with me, when I don't take what God has done for me, I don't live out of that provision. See, the disciples were still concerned about what was going on in their bellies. God had already taken care of that. He said, I got you covered on the provision. I'm trying to take you to the next level in your thinking. I'm trying to get to your heart in this series, right? And so, and so, uh, so we're talking about worry. And like, so I, I could really, I could worry, but, but then I wanna hit on something else. Passivity and indecision. I taught school for about, a, uh, about 10 years. Uh, then I moved into administration. And uh, when I was going into teaching, <laughs> I was this old dude. And uh, he was like, you know, the best reasons about teaching. And I was getting ready. I was like, he is going to drop some pearls of wisdom. Mentor me, please. June, July, and August. <laughs> I'm not saying he's wrong. No, I'm playing. <laughs> I'm playing. <laughs> This is what would happen to me, though, is that I would do really good in May and June. And then all of a sudden, I started to lose my gumption. And I started to just get passive. And by the time I hit like July and struggled into July, I was just, I couldn't make a decision. It'd be like, what do you want to do today? I don't know. Do you want to go eat something? Uh, I'm not sure. That's where I was living. But watch this. Where was it coming from? Because there was a root to this problem, okay? Back when I was a kid, um, uh, me and my buddies, we would go out. And instead of making decisions, you know what we would do? We'd be like, all right, we're either gonna eat here or here. And we'd flip a coin. Oh, we're gonna eat there. We're gonna eat there. And I didn't make a decision. And so I did really good when I had the structure of my job and I had to get up and I had to go and I had to do, I was fine. But then when that structure was taken away, I fell back into this cycle of my smelly thinking. And I would go back to being passive and I would be going, go back to being indecisive. 
I had forgotten where God had brought me out of. And see, that's, that's, that's the harm if we don't carry the testimony. That's, that's the harm if we don't continue to inspect our fruit and, and look and see, hey, 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 am I exhibiting the mind of Christ? Am I walking in peace, in patience, in faithfulness, in self-control? So we see this, we see this in, the, in the story of Peter so well. The disciples and, and Peter were in the boat and they were like cruising. Um, I don't know if they were skiing earlier or not. It doesn't really say. Maybe they were tubing. I'm not sure. Um, but they fall asleep in the boat. And they look up. And this, this person is walking on the water. Now there are these waves and stuff splashing too. And they start freaking out. And, and then there's Jesus. And like, Jesus, Jesus like, he like, he like calms the waves. And Peter's like, dude, call me out there. And Jesus invites him out. Now I wanna show you something for a second. Now there was a, there was a boat full of others that, that didn't wanna step out of the boat for whatever reason. But you see Peter, Peter brave enough to step out. What if he failed? That fear of failure so often keeps us from stepping out of our norm, out of our comfort zone, out to where God might be calling us. You know, and, and you think about it, like what's the worst case scenario? I talked about being indecisive and now I'm in a job where I think I probably make a thousand decisions a day. I just make them. What if it doesn't work out? Well, we'll make a different decision. Well, what if you try something and it fails? Well, then we'll see where it failed and we'll fix it and we'll try again. Thomas Edison failed 10,000 times before he invented a light bulb that worked. 10,000. Dude. And you know, he doesn't look at it. He, what's, his, what's he say? He didn't say, I felt like a failure 10,000 times. I feel like I discovered 10,000 ways a light bulb wouldn't work. Perspective though, right? You think of Steven Spielberg. Do you know, he applied to USC School of Film twice and was turned down? Spielberg. I mean, we could go on. I'm with Henry Ford, bankrupt twice before he went to Ford, before he built Ford. We could even talk about how, how, the, how when he had the idea for a V8 engine, people were like, nah, that's not gonna work. And then they tried it and it didn't work. And they tried it again and it didn't work, but they kept trying it and trying it. And then all of a sudden now, then it worked. So we have Peter and he stepped out. One thing that I love too is how Jesus called the disciples. So Jesus would go around and they were, there were these dudes and they were fishermen and they were doing stuff. They were tax collectors. So they were people that other rabbis were like, they can't cut it as teachers of the law. And Jesus called these people, this B team of people. And he was like, come and follow me. What he was essentially saying was, I believe that you can be like me and you can do what I do. And so we have this moment at this boat where, where he's calling Peter out on the water, where he's saying, Peter, I believe that you can walk on the water like I do. And Peter's like, oh yeah, I'll try it. And then what happens? All these waves, right? He's like freaking out. It goes back to that Isaiah scripture, right? When do we lose our peace? 
when our focus gets on all this other stuff instead of on the one that brings us peace. See, Peter, he, Peter didn't, he didn't lose faith in Jesus. Jesus was still standing on the water. Peter lost faith in his ability to do what Jesus was calling him to do. We have the mind of Christ.